Uh, if you've got an electric grill, just put your name down, and we'll pray for you and get you a new grill. Because, uh... Tony, shut them off. Oh, man. Hey, so if y'all don't know me, my name is Ben White. I am the Young Adults Pastor here with my wife, Hannah. Uh, we've been coming to New City for about two years. Um, I want to say hello to all of you guys, everybody on Facebook, everybody on YouTube. Um, Casey is out today. He had to, His mom had some stuff going on, so he flew out to Georgia to be with her. Um, so he called me. So we'll see how this goes. Um, but we've been going through the series called Rivals. Um, and, and really what I want you guys to think about as we talk today is who sits on the throne of my heart. And, and I want that to just, just let it sink in because every one of these topics that we've hit, whether it's hearing and doing, maturity versus immaturity, mercy over judgment, faith, of, faith and works, my plan versus God's plan, pride and humility. Today we're talking about prayer versus worry, but it's all about me versus God. And who wins? God is the obvious choice, but we don't let him win half the time. In Proverbs 17:22 it says a joyful heart is good medicine but a broken spirit dries up the bones. When we let anything sit in the throne of our hearts besides Jesus Christ we are dried up bones. Anything. We might feel great for a while. We might even actually be succeeding in life. But without Jesus we're nothing but a pile of ash waiting to be breathed into. And so we, we've, we've been going through all these, and, and we're finishing out the series with prayer versus worry. And, and our natural inclination when we face challenges is to worry. You see it all over. And, and worry leads to this anxiousness that just kind of hangs about us. And people kind of look at us like, man, they're not okay. But they don't do anything to help either most of the time. But worry does nothing to improve the situation. But we default to it. It improves nothing, yet it's our natural response. In fact, in fact, it actually hurts the situation in every way. It hurts us emotionally, spiritually, physically. Emotionally, it paralyzes us. We can't feel anything but anxious, and we get all fidgety and like weirded out. Spiritually, it separates us from God. It actually kicks God off the throne of our hearts because we don't believe that he can do it or handle it. And physically, it drains us. I don't know if you guys like WebMD or self-diagnosing yourselves. Um, I would not recommend it for anybody because uh, that will get you to worry quite a bit. But just some of the symptoms that come from worrying Check this out. Dizziness, dry mouth, fatigue, nausea, sweating. Okay, I could probably deal with that. And then in excessive cases, you could just die of a heart attack. So, you know, just extreme cases of anxiety kind of bring that on. So why do we do it? If we are so positive... 
that we are in control of our lives and that our plan is the best plan for our lives, why do we worry? Unless it's not. Why do we worry if we think we can do it in our own strength? Why do we worry if we think we do enough? And, and, and I don't know how you guys kind of process worry, but whenever I think of it, it's that word enough. You'll never be enough. You won't do enough. And, and worry actually makes me feel less than. And so on top of worry, I get this whole comparison thing going on, and I'm like, well, shoot. I'm even more stuck than I already was. But let's check out what Scripture says in Matthew six nineteen. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What do you see when you look out into the world? What do you, what do you take in? Hopelessness here. Worry here. Not going to be able to provide there. Or do you see God's grace moving in everything? That's what it, that's what it means to look with your eyes and be full of light or be full of darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and fill in the blank. You can't. And I said fill in the blank here because God uses, Matthew uses money when he writes, and that's technically Jesus' word. But I believe it extends to every other place in our lives. <clears throat> Money is just the biggest issue. And, and it's interesting, that this kind of composition of the Scripture, because as soon as we serve one master, we're automatically hating the other. There is no, oh, I... I love this thing, but I also love Jesus too. You can't have two people sit on the throne of your heart. And then he goes on to say, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Isn't life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? A lot of times we don't think that, and Satan doesn't want us to. But we are. I shared a fun little Discovery Channel fact for first service, so I'll share it again. <coughs> Most animals of prey predators, their their kill rate of actually getting a meal is like 7 to 8 out of 10. 7 to 8 out of 10 tries, they fail. And they're still provided for. We can walk over to the fridge or McDonald's if we're feeling it. Ain't no shame. But we're provided for. 
so much more. We don't even have to go out and hunt for our food anymore. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You can't, you can't get more time. You actually lose more time because you're just stuck there like, man, I have no idea what to do, and I can't do anything. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. I hate that that phrase is in the Bible. I hate it. Oh, you of little faith. Because it reminds me of how much I fail. And dude, it is in like every story that Jesus talks about with the disciples. Dude, where was your faith here? Why didn't you trust me there? We can't get it. So we're constantly having to be reminded of it. He says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You stop worrying when you're concerned about things of Jesus. You can't help it. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's interesting to me that we ask all these questions to each other. Well, where do you want to go to eat? What should I wear today? What should we drink? And I'm not saying you got to invite Jesus into everything like, Hey, Jesus, what should I wear today? The green shirt or the red shirt? I don't think he cares that much. And he's given us freedom to choose. But on the big things like, hey, Jesus, should I take this job or not? Or, hey, man, I've been praying about getting married to this girl, or we've been thinking about having kids. We don't really consult them on that stuff. And so we go around because we're trying to do it in our own strength, and I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the girl, and I'll tell all my buddies, and I'm like, dude, I'm about to marry this girl. And they're like, hey, what did God say? <laughs> hey, do you think God would really want you to work at that company? Do you think God would father like that? If we don't have people that are pushing us back to Jesus, and we're doing it all in our own strength, we are going to fail. Because we don't always make the right choices. Sometimes I don't ever make the right choices, you know? And it hurts to say that. Because I want to do it on my own strength. Our natural inclination is to try to do it all ourselves, and that's what Satan wants. He wants us to fail and never get back up again. He wants us to fail and doubt ourselves. Doubt which way to go. Or he wants us, wants us to succeed, so we don't even need to rely on Jesus. Do you ask God for stuff? 
we had a bunch of kids in first service, and I, I don't want to say foolishly started asking them questions about their parents, but, I mean, it's kind of funny. But I asked them, like, hey, how many of you, if you need something, do you run to your parents? Some raised their hands, some of them didn't. How many of you, if you're hungry, will not ask your parents for food? How many of you, if you need help getting dressed, will not ask your parents for help? We do that with Jesus, though. If God's our good father, how often do I run to him when I'm freaking out about a situation? How often do I run to him when I'm super happy about this and I just made a new friend and I don't know if it's the right way? How often do I go and just say thank you for thinking about me today? If you're a parent, especially moms, I don't know what it is about moms, but you think about your kids all the time. Sometimes you worry about your kids all the time. Me and my wife are about to have a baby. I think about that baby all the time. And then I think, I get anxious, and I worry about how am I going to provide for it? How am I going to make sure all its needs are met? How am I going to make sure I'm going to be a good enough father? God's like, dude, I've given you everything. Just ask. And we don't. And so that's, we're going to shift from this, this asking and worrying posture to a posture of prayer. And putting Jesus back on the throne of our hearts. And so in James 5, 13, we, we juxtaposition this, this worry with what prayer actually looks like. And it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. In the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. We can't raise up people. I've tried. They just kind of fall back over. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you're righteous. I don't care what Satan has to say about you. God says, hey, that's my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Which means you're right with God. Your prayer has power. I know a lot of times, though, it feels like we're just tossing words up to the ceiling, hoping they get past the roof. Sometimes we don't even know if God wants to hear from us. Do you always listen to your kid? The answer might be sometimes. That's okay. God's a good father. He listens to us all the time. Even if we're whining and griping and complaining about somebody else in the family, he listens. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. Our prayer has power. 
you don't believe that, we'll have a whole separate conversation after church about what prayer actually is. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from it from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Casey's going to start talking about this, but come next year, man, our goal is to go bring people back that have fallen astray. Our goal is not necessarily to reach the lost, but to reach the, the tired out workers of the harvest, to reach the ones who are just given up, to reach the ones who have just walked away and bring them back. God misses them. And I want, us, I want to focus on these first three questions that are asked. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That's not our natural response. Especially if you're a dude. Yes, yeah, Joe knows what I'm talking about. Dude, if you're a dude in here and you're hurting or you're struggling with something, you ain't telling nobody. I don't care if it's your best friend. I don't care if it's your wife. Typically, we don't tell nobody because we think we can bear it ourselves. God says, let me have it. It's not worth holding on to. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. And this is where the thief comes in the most, in my opinion. <clears throat> Hannah the, the night that we found out that we were pregnant, man, she's like bawling, crying, like super, super excited. And I walk in, and she's like, hey, we're pregnant. And I'm like, holy crap, we're pregnant, right? Like, this is awesome. Not even two seconds later, holy crap, we're pregnant. What the heck do I do now? You know? And it's this weight and responsibility and all this burden. And Satan literally just took all my joy. And he was like, here, you just have all this weight and responsibility. And I'll, I'll hang out with your joy. It's a hard road to chase down a thief to get back what he stole. And it sucks. Is anyone among you sick? <clears throat> let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of of the Lord. I'm not the best at this. Man, when I'm sick, and when, like we, we've been taught that when we're sick or sick people, you guys stay over there. Until you're healthy, until I'm ready to deal with you, you just stay over there. I don't want your puking face anywhere in my house, you know. <laughs> Anybody who's cleaned up vomit will know that that is totally true. But God says, hey, pray for him. Actually lay hands on them because my healing is in your body. Dude, if he died to fix our brokenness, how much more can he fix others' brokenness through us? And then there's the confession. And he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. How often do we like Go confess her faults. Maybe like once every 30. <laughs> one every 40. Or if you're like me, I never sin. So, <laughs> unless you ask my wife. And then that's a different story. But we stink at confessing our junk. 
Like, we suck at it. God's like, dude, if you would just give that up, if you would just tell somebody that you're struggling with this junk, you get help. And we say, oh, no, Jesus, I'm fine. I got this. I don't need help with anything. Sometimes I wonder how many times, like, Jesus, like, face palms himself of, like, man, that was an idiot moment, but I got you. And he doesn't condemn when we come back, guys. That's the crazy thing is the devil's like, dude, your friends just judge you real hardcore for this. Jesus is going to judge you even harder. If Jesus already looks at you as a beloved son or daughter, why are you fearing telling him stuff? Man, when your kids come, actually, here's how it usually works. When you find out your kids have lied and you confront them on it, because kids not, I ain't telling my dad I lied to him, you know. It's scary. But when you find out your kids have lied or something like that, you still confront them in love. Like, yeah, you're angry with them. You're a little disappointed. But you discipline and you correct in love. Why is it any different with Jesus? And so we're going to close. We're actually going to do communion tonight or tonight, today. It's not not yet, sorry. It's been a long day. Huh? Yeah, I mean, almost. Um, And I'm going to kind of go over just some of the weight of what communion is. And then we've also got these these stones. Um, Lucky for me, I didn't say anything too stupid this service. But uh, first service, we almost had a riot on my hands. Um... These are worry stones. And if you don't know what a worry stone is, it, it can be just about anything. Um, and, and Tina was kind enough to provide these, and, and I really want us to take advantage of this. And so I want you to pray about it. And if God's putting something on your heart to write on this stone, it could be a worry. It could be a lie that the enemy has told you. It could be something he wants you to work on. Write it down. We've got enough Sharpies. We've got enough stones for everybody. we got enough stones if you want to take two or three because God's like, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Don't have that many. But if God's talking to you, take another one. And then we're also going to have a prayer team set up. Man, there will be one on this wall, two in the back, and then one on this wall. If you guys need prayer for stuff, don't feel weird about coming. Everybody's got junk. We're different from the world in how we deal with it. So 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. I judge myself enough already. I don't need another thing put on there. That is why so many of us are weak and ill and some have died. It's because we're putting judgment on ourselves that we have no business carrying. No business feeling the weight of if Christ has died for our sins and we fully believe that. We got no business with that junk. But if we judged 
ourselves truly, we wouldn't be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined because he loves us. And so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Communion's in the back this time. Like I said, if you need prayer, come to one of us. Worship band is going to rock it out again. I'll get back up and I'll lead us through communion once everybody's got the cup. And we'll rock it from there. Sound good? All right, y'all.